Hi, this is Kutsia Naki, and welcome to the season four finale of Down to the Struts. Thanks for joining us for another six episodes about disability design and intersectionality. Today, we're going to get a bit meta with a podcast episode about podcasts. We'll listen in on my conversation with Thomas Reed and Cheryl Green. Thomas is the creator, host, and producer of Read My Mind Radio, the podcast featuring stories of people experiencing all degrees of blindness and disability. Cheryl is a member-owner and digital operations team lead at New Day Films and a member of the Social Audio Description Project Collective. Cheryl and Thomas were some of my earliest advisors as I conceived Down to the Struts. Their wisdom and audio wizardry guided me on my own creative path by introducing me to the ins and outs of making a podcast. Thomas, Cheryl, and I chatted about how they became involved in podcasting, their creative process, and a new and exciting initiative they are launching to support and grow the community of disabled podcasters. Okay, let's get down to it. Thank you both so much for doing this. I, I'm so happy to be able to have you on this podcast. I feel like my podcast wouldn't exist without the two of you. And I really mean that. So thank you so much. Um, great. Well, uh, to get started, I'd love for you both to introduce yourselves. I've referenced you many times. Uh, so listeners who have been around for a while have <clears throat> probably heard me mention both of you at various times, but if you could just introduce yourselves and tell us about who you are and what brought you to podcast? Um, I can go first. And my office manager is starting to come around. So when you hear the incessant beeping, that's just my office manager. So um, <laughs> I think they deserve some more explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I usually feed the cat around six <laughs> and he starts counting, uh, counting down at about 430. So anyway, he's lurking. He'll start beeping soon. <laughs> um, in addition to being a cat mom, um, I primarily am a closed captioner, transcriptionist, subtitler, audio describer, and I do panels and trainings um, for film festivals, filmmakers, and museums around media accessibility. I also, uh, I, I was making documentary film for a while, but I think I'm just better at the access stuff than I am at filmmaking, and I have had a podcast I was supposed to look this up. I don't remember how long I've had it for a few years. Um, and um, I haven't been super active lately because of my workload, but yeah, I have a podcast called Pigeonhole. And how did you come to come to start Pigeonhole? You know, I started on this um, streaming radio back in the day. I had a telephone plugged into the wall and um, I would call this number and it would record conversations, the old school streaming radio. And it was on what's called the Brain Injury Radio Network, which is just, you know, I, I don't know if it's still around, but it was like seven nights a week, different hosts would have call-in shows, some were talk shows, some were monologue shows. And I was talking to somebody who wanted to start her own streaming radio show. And I told her I could help her because I'm, I'm a little bit tech savvy. 
And I was halfway through writing down the instructions when I realized I didn't actually know how to start a streaming radio show. And so I made it, I set one up so that I could write the instructions out for her. And then I had one. So I just started <laughs> doing it once a week. Um, started having this call in chat show on the brain injury radio network. And, um, and I just kept going and, and broadened out away from brain injury stuff and started doing cross disability stuff, long form interviews, no editing, no music, you know, it was just disability. Um, and, uh, right. <laughs> there he is right around the time that I, my cat stepped on the laptop right around the time that I was in the, um, new voices program with the association of independence and radio. I don't know. I got, um, more focus and was able to home in a little bit better about what I wanted to do artistically and content wise. I got rid of the old show and launched Pigeonhole. I think that was 2017, but I can't remember. I think that is so you, Cheryl, that your whole podcast concept was born out of helping someone else that is oh. emblematic of who you are as a person, I feel like. Oh. And Thomas, how, what brought you to your podcast, which is also a really interesting, interesting story that you shared with me in the past? Well, I guess really like becoming blind had everything to do with my entry into podcasting. It began first with losing access to note-taking. Um, and this was prior to having access to like a screen reader or, or any sort of technology at that point, right? Um, I purchased this little digital recorder. It was a little Sony, you know, fits in the palm of your hand type, a really small one, um, Sony digital recorder. And I started, you know, using it to take notes, but then I started using it to like in replace of a video camera because I was that dad running around with a camera <laughs> following the kids around. That, that was me. That's, that was me. Um, at the time, it was just my, my oldest daughter. But yeah, I was doing that. So instead of instead of doing that, and at the time I had a had a really newborn. So I started recording her with the with the little Sony digital recorder. And then a little bit after that, I started to get access to a computer. So I learned how to use a screen reader and, and I was on a computer and I found some accessible software that gave me the opportunity to go ahead and edit these little files and it was a uh, gold wave and so it's like a just a single file digital editor audio editor you know so that was around the same time i was also working with an advocacy organization and i put all of these skills that i was developing to work for the organization so i started doing all sorts of stuff they had like a little magazine sort of audio magazine i started producing some pieces for that and again, still doing the stuff with my kids and throw some music in there. I was just playing with audio all the time. And similar to Cheryl, I, I ended up going to the, uh, getting a scholarship to the, um, from the AIR, Association of Independence and Radio, and, and in 2014. And as part of that, I went to the Third Coast Festival and, and all of that, met some people. And then I got a, I got a email or something like that from somebody that I met and and they were like hey there's this organization in New York that's looking for people to create some original programming so I was like oh cool let me check this out you know this this, this is perfect for you this might be perfect for you mm -hmm. so I looked and it was a blindness organization and it was the uh, gateway radio reading service and and so I was kind of like annoyed right? <laughs> because <laughs> I was really annoyed because I was like oh I'm the only one they sent it to um, mm. Out of all the other folks who were who were at this, you know, non-blind thing, and um, 
So after I got over my feelings, <laughs> I decided, hey, you know what? This is this is actually an opportunity. And um, so, you know, I started producing content for them. And, and it was cool. And since it was only for the radio reading service, which you have to have one of those specialized radios for back in the day, um, I said, you know what? I have a blog. Let me just share these audio files on the blog. And that's what I started doing. So it wasn't really a podcast at first, but soon after I, I you know, made it official and, and went over to and got on Apple. And so it became a official podcast at that point. Yeah, and that was cool. And then over the years, it sort of took shape into what it is today. So I was just really just kind of figuring it out as I, as I went along. I love that. And I completely identify with what you were saying about running around with a camera, chasing your kids. I was the kid, like my dad did that. I, it would totally transported me. I, I have such memories of my dad just being obsessed with his, uh, his video camera. Yeah. That's really important. Um, Those films are great. Oh, and so embarrassing to show to like your fat for your friends, your future partners. Like it's uh -huh. awesome record keeping. Nice. So you both are just incredibly skilled storytellers. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your creative process, how you go from, you know, raw audio files to these incredibly beautifully curated stories that send really powerful messages. Well, with a description like that, Thomas got to go first. <laughs> oh, no, I think you should go first. So uh, sometimes I do interviews um, on occasion, but for the most part, I kind of and I do the same thing when I film. I kind of edit in camera. I edit in microphone. I get out there and I, I curate what it is that I'm going to record before I record it so that um, the pieces that I want are there and they're very easy for me to find. So I don't make episodes very often because I almost never have any ideas. I I'm, don't have a lot of creative ideas on my own. Um, <clears throat> I'm currently working on an episode about um, what it would be like to go on Yelp and read reviews about pain. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of your pain? Oh, I'll give that five stars. I'd do, <laughs> do that hangnail again. Anyway, because um, I it was just like a flash of an idea, but it's been sitting there for four weeks now. When there's a story idea, it sort of um, emerges mostly fully formed, and then I just kind of chase it and try to make it happen. With the interviews that I've got on my podcast, those often started with a particular topic or a point of interest or a you know, specific reason I wanted to talk to that person. A lot of my editing is about uh, uh, cutting down for length. Like one of my goals is I'm going to, how short can I make this show and how tightly can I refine something to get down just to that nugget? My tendency is to bury the lead in conversation, in stuff that I write, in stuff that I record, my audio description scripts, I'm always burying the lead. And so I, I try to do this thing with my audio stories of just say what the story is about. Just start with the actual topic and get right to it. So that's one thing. And then I, you know, I like to do sound effects. I like to find music that makes my body feel a certain way when I'm listening to the story being told and then just kind of layering stuff. I don't have any training. I'm making it up as I go along, but I, I guess it's just really gut driven and trying to emulate the sounds and vibes that I hear on other people's shows that I really like. Yeah, that's cool. That's, that, I feel like that's the, a start for me same same sort of thing like figuring out 
and realizing what I liked about other shows, you know, just kind of listening to what they were doing in, in the beginning before I was podcasting. I was really nerdy about all of those sounds, even from just the vocals and, and trying to get those vocals. Like, you know, like if you hear a vocal on NPR and you try to get that, it's like, you're not going to get close to that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are thousand dollar microphones and they have great studios. But I kept like, oh, man, I want to get that sound. I want to get that sound. Mm all of the sound design and, and how they're using it, you know, ambient sounds in the field, like that stuff was just really, really cool to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was also thinking about like, what was important to me? What were the stories that I liked? And I came to realize that I, I actually liked the emotional stuff to a certain degree um, that made me think and feel. You know, I would listen to some, especially in the early days, because I was listening to podcasts for quite a while. And in the early days, it was a lot of the the chat cast, you know, people sitting around mm -hmm. talking, that type of thing. And I was mm -hmm. I was doing that at first, but it was these other sorts of things that I was listening to that was you was getting me. You know, yeah, the 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 This American Life. There was this other one, um, Morning Stories out of Boston, um, that I thought was just fantastic. Just kind of listening to all of that stuff and I started experimenting when I can when I could. And like my process was, okay, I, I do the interview, record the interview. Um, but what I was doing was sort of editing and writing the episode at the same time because I would listen and chop up and then kind of write down, listen, chop up. And I was really, really staying away from the way others were doing it, which was yeah. what I learned later was, was the whole idea that you transcribe and then you write and then you go edit. And to me, I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I, that. That seems like a waste. Like, to transcribe it? Oh, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I fought against it for quite a while. Then then I tried it um, when I was like, you know what? I got to start incorporating transcripts. And I loved it. <laughs> and now I swear by it. Like, I won't do it the other way. And if somebody, you know, asks me and they say, oh, should I do it? No. Do not do it that way. Do it this way. Number one, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need to have transcripts, number one. So why not go ahead and start this process right there to make sure you have it? Because creating a transcript at when you have that first interview transcribed is really easy at that yeah. point. You know, it's why I always wonder why, like, you know, certain shows on NPR or whatever um, don't have transcripts. Because it's kind of, come on, mm. guys, I know your process. Like, it's not hard for you to do that. So, but yeah, that be, that became my process um, in terms of how I do it. In terms of picking episodes, I'm really more, I'm real specific about that now. And I'm trying to, I produce in advance. So that's something that I learned over the years. Um, and I do, I am in a season mode now. I, I also recommend that to anybody. Um, think about it in terms of seasons. Think about producing in advance, getting all your shows together, getting all of that stuff, and then working on it, however you want to do it. But but doing it in advance, because I was doing week to week before, and that was driving me nuts. Mm. Um, and so I, I got away from that. But yeah, and, and you know, experimenting sometimes. Like when Cheryl mentioned getting that idea, that's one of the things that I say, like, if I do get that idea, I have to do it now because mm. there's lots of times where I have to, ah, I don't think anybody's going to like it. I don't worry about that. No, I think I should do it because because it was given to me for whatever reason. So so let me try to try to work on this and, and you know, learn something from the process. Awesome. Gosh, we have, we have so much in common in, in our processes. It's really interesting to hear you say that. I feel surprised that I didn't already know this, but I bet I did and I forgot. There was something you said about you don't want to do it the way other people are doing it. Mm -hmm. 
you referring to transcripts, but I was glad that you said that because that is one of the defining factors of how I pick what is going to be on my show. It's not like I'm so great and, you know, oh, only the greatest will be on my show, but it's like, mm, I've heard that story. I'm not doing it. And like, I am driven by, especially like non-disabled people. I'm not, I'm not only not going to give you what you want. I'm specifically not going to give you what you want specifically because <laughs> you can find it. You want to hear stories yeah. about people's diagnoses. You want to hear stories mm -hmm. about miraculous recoveries. I know so many places where you can find those. The more people ask for a certain thing, the more likely I am to do a story like with my friend Grant, who told a story about hoping to grow up and become the moon for their like <laughs> career. <laughs> so there you go, non-disabled people. That's what, that's what the disabled dream of when they're young. <laughs> that's all you're going to get. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting to hear both of you because I feel like I'm the absolute foil in some ways. So you both clearly are artistic people who were fascinated by audio and sound design. And I, I am too. I'm, I'm an avid, I've always been an avid podcast and radio listener. I, I am like the least artistic person alive. And <laughs> I came at this because I had messaging goals. You know, I, I'm just a lawyer. I'm, I am not an audio producer. I have a brilliant, fabulous audio producer who <laughs> edits and helps me produce this work. And that's not my skill, but I, I felt that I had a message and I, I had, I love this medium. So I guess it's, it's just interesting to hear. And I love the idea about taking your raw audio of doing the transcript. I, I, I don't do that. I actually do it the other way I produce and then I transcribe. So maybe Whoa. I've got this all wrong, but, um, cause I was, I was really focused on, okay, I want to keep my format simple because this is not my, I I'm not skilled in this, but I, I want to send these messages and tell these stories. And, and, and like you, Cheryl, I really wanted to make sure I was bringing forward authentic disabled voices and centering those voices and not trying to pander to either inspiration porn or um, sort of tragedy narratives. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's really interesting to hear your journeys because mine was kind of, I came to this in a, in a much different way. And um, the other thing is, it's a self kind of funded project. And in order to have really complicated audio production, which I'm not trained in, I would need a lot more financial resources. And, and that's something I'd love to talk about in a second is just um, <laughs> why is there not more capital and more revenue being put into investing into, into, into our stories and what can we do about it? Um, so that's a, that's a challenge that I, I feel like I face as someone who is not sort of naturally gifted and artistic, but has all kinds of ideas. I'm like the idea generator, but not the executor. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but it's beautiful when those two things come together, right? When you have someone who has vision in terms of the production and the artistry of the audio, and then you have someone who's really driven by the content um, mm -hmm. come together and um, collaborating. But yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So you all are like the OG 
disabled podcasters, you know, and um, like I said, I, I, I really owe you a lot of credit. You both gave me incredible advice. I never will forget Cheryl. I <laughs> sent you my first little intro I had done and you wrote me back and you were like, you know, you can breathe. <laughs> You can swallow. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I still kind of don't, but I think about you. I channel that every time I'm recording, especially when I'm recording the intro or whatever, it's something I'm doing by myself. I'm like, oh, I should cough or I should swallow or I should breathe. Cheryl told me to breathe. I should breathe. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, um, uh, you both were really instrumental in helping me figure out how to do this because I really had no idea what I was doing, to be honest. Um, but how have you seen this space change, the space of disabled podcasting since you sort of landed in it? Well, first I want to say, I feel like, there. thank you. Um, and I do fondly remember that moment. I was like, oh, maybe Kutsia doesn't realize that you really, you can take as much time as you want because you're going to edit it as much as you need to. And, you know, we, I, I, I want to say um, that one thing that one of the biggest learnings that I have gotten and continue to get um, in disability community is to stop and know yourself and recognize yourself and understand what it is that you want and need. We're always having those drives of like, oh, I'm running out of breath, but I have to record this. No, well, actually you don't. If you're running out of breath, you could stop and breathe. And we do it all the time. And we go to meetings all the time where something happens and you want to speak up and you can't or you don't. Or we just, and this idea of checking in with your access needs, maybe your access need is I better stretch before I record or I really do want to cough. Um, it's just been so important. We're allowed to get to know ourselves and what we need and try to meet our needs or have other people help us meet our needs. I feel like there was a lot of streaming radio and podcast people who came way before me. Like I said, I don't remember when I started doing this, so I don't, I don't know where I am in the timeline. But one thing that I've seen change is people really go for it. And, and asking, Kutsu, you're not the first person who I've had a conversation with, I want to start a podcast. And, you know, we have the meeting, well, here's what you need to line up and here's what you need to arrange. And I'm still getting those emails and more people are starting podcasts. And another thing I'm seeing really change is that when I tell people you have to have a transcript, they don't put up defenses. I feel like I encountered a lot more defenses in the past, a lot more, well, I don't have the budget, which is real. Like you brought this up. Budget is hard. Funding is hard, but I'm not hearing that put up front so much anymore. I'm hearing more people saying, oh, well, how much does it cost? And where would I go to get that? There's more curiosity, there's more openness, there's more willingness and more acceptance and understanding that making your work more accessible is, it's such a good thing to do. It feels like so cheesy to say it that way. It's really the right thing to do. Thomas, I, I, I also remember very much um, speaking with you and, and all of your words of encouragement and you know, as a, as a fellow blind person, you were, you really helped me demystify, you know, you can find accessible means of doing this. I was really worried about 
reading things um, because I don't know Braille. And, you know, when you were like, you can actually slow down your JAWS software and, and, and read along and it takes time to develop that skill, but it's doable. And that was really encouraging to me. But I'm curious for you um, as being someone who really started off as a blind person doing podcasting very early, what changes you've seen in the years since you started uh, Read My Mind Radio? Specifically since starting the podcast, because I think I, I go back, you know, to I, when I think about podcasts, I'm going back to when I was a listener, right? Just a listener, which was early, early, like 04, when it was starting. <laughs> so, so I, and, and that's before I could even, you know, get it. I didn't have an iPod. There was nothing accessible for me to work with at that particular time. So when I was podcasting, I was literally sitting at my computer listening to stuff because I didn't even have the technology at that particular time. So, so there's that, like, I think that's a, that's a really big piece, especially if we're talking about disability, um, you know, that, that it took blind folks a little longer possibly to get into podcasting. But like Cheryl said, you know, I, I give credit to, um, to ACB radio. I always say to folks, you know, that, that they've been, you know, they were early in streaming back in the nineties when when the internet came about like they were doing streaming radio that early when when i found out that blind folks used to send cassettes to one another because mm -hmm. um, think about it if you didn't have email you didn't read braille folks were making cassette recordings and sending that to each other like those who could not read braille i'm like that's a freaking podcast it's just yeah. on a cassette you know you and, and sometimes it probably was conversational stuff one of the big things that I see now is just the, the corporate involvement. Like in 2014, they were getting involved. They were really getting involved. So yes, you had some of the, the early radio um, programs at This American Life and stuff like that. Um, it was still new for them, right? Not every radio station had a freaking podcast. And now, you know, you have these conglomerates who are in there. And, and if you're getting into podcasting and you're thinking about funding and you're thinking about trying to get your listenership up listenership excuse me <laughs> it's, it might be yeah, listenership too. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you're thinking about going that route and trying to get ads and all of that like you know it, it takes a lot of listeners to be mm -hmm. able to get sponsorship like that um yep. that's why these conglomerates kind of you know create these networks and lump all of that together to be able to sell it. Um, mm. And so that's, you know, it's almost like it can be, it can be deterring because I remember when one of the early podcasts that I listened to, um, and I'm sure a lot of folks remember it in the blind community, or I think it's still on, um, but it's tech related and it's Leo Laporte, uh, This Week in Technology. Watching what he was doing, where he started to build his network, he started to build his studio, and this was specifically around podcasting, and he was getting the numbers, and he was growing that, and at the time, when I was thinking about getting into podcasting, it was like, oh, okay, I want to do this. I didn't know what I wanted to do specifically, but I knew I wanted to do something, and that was like really, really encouraging. That was exciting, and I feel like, I don't know, but I, I wonder if I was to be getting involved now, would it feel the same way? It doesn't seem like it would to me because it's just, you know, the big guys are, are, are here. And I even worry about that specifically around disability because mm. to me, it's always a matter of time. 
until the mainstream sees something in it, sees an opportunity, and then they jump on it. You know, and I, mm. I, I take that from if we look at other communities, you know, as a black person, you know, there was a time where nobody was checking for us. You know, we had we had Soul Train. Nobody watched Soul Train back in the day <laughs> until they started. To, and then and then now, oh, then they want to develop this. And BET was around and then nobody's listening, watching BET but black people. And then, oh, now MTV comes around and it's Viacom and then they buy it. And, it's, you know, it's that type mm -hmm. of thing happens mm -hmm. all the time. And so I'm like, oh. It's, it's, it's a matter of time until an NPR comes up. And I think they do have, have some sort of disability show. I haven't, I don't think I checked it do out. Do they? I think they do. I think no, they do. I no. think that's something. You know, I think it's just a matter of time. It's just a hmm. matter of time. And then, you know, I don't think it would be authentic. You know, it's going to be whatever it is. What it's going to be whitewashed. I mean, to be quite mm -hmm. honest, it, it would be that for disability. I don't want to see that happen. When I got into this, for example, I, you know, I was being pulled in lots of different directions and I've learned to be very vigilant and because probably not the level that, of YouTube, but I'm definitely getting those emails and asking for uh, paid ad spots. And I've been getting some communications like that. And I'm very protective of the authenticity of my own voice and my story and the stories of my guests. And I, I want to have a space that's run by us, controlled by us, where the messaging is something that we create. And so that that is really, really important to me. And I don't want to lose sight of that. And it sounds like the two of you are, are very much in the same uh, in the same in the same boat. And, and to that end, I understand that the two <laughs> of you have entered into a new collaboration. And I wondered if you would be willing to share uh, with our listeners. I'm usually more doomsday in general than Thomas, I think. I don't actually see that corporate takeover of disability stories coming because I still am encountering too many people who are like, we want to do a disability story, but we can't think of one. <laughs> We're an architecture and design podcast and we, I won't say the name of it, but you know, some people might guess which one it is, is a big one. We, we can't think of any, I'm like you can't think of an architecture or design story around disability, then they finally did one. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lot of airtime given to non-disabled um, experts and guests on the show. And, and here's the other thing, the framing of the story totally sounded like we anticipate our audience is almost entirely non-disabled people. And they mm -hmm. might be, that is still the majority, even across the globe, that is majority, non-disabled people. But I hear you, major funded podcast, when you finally do a disability story and you can't even do it from any kind of disability perspective. I'm aware of that and I've unsubscribed to your show. Mm -hmm. So when Thomas and I are working on, we have been chosen by the Disability Visibility Project of great, great Alice Wong fame. Um, we have been uh, funded through the DVP to start something. And it was basically start something, start anything. What do you want to start that will bring together disabled podcasters and podcasts about disability life and culture? And so we're starting a hub. It has a name. It has a bunch of nicknames. It's got all sorts of interesting stuff going on. We have not released the name yet or the website where it's all in the works, but some of the initial plans include putting on a survey to podcasters, to people who wish they were podcasting, but they're not, to podcast audiences, 
and really digging in about what are people making? What is the access offered? What, and what re resources do you want and do you need? What perspective are the stories coming from? So we'll put out this survey and um, find out you know, what's going on in the community, what, what's out there, what people want. We're also gonna put together a living database of disabled podcast and content creators so that people can find the shows and promote them and find each other, hire each other, do skill shares. You find this disabled musician in the database, hire them to make your theme music. Well, we, we want to be kind of a, a, a learning and resource hub. So there's a lot of resources out there that are very good around all aspects of podcasting, but they're not necessarily accessible. There may be uncaptioned YouTube tutorials or various tutorials where they're like, see this, press this button and then make this happen. And there's no audio description, et cetera. Stuff is not always cognitively accessible or findable. So we wanna gather the resources that are accessible. We want to find out what information and resources the community wants and we can make those learning pieces and those tutorials and do a new show. I want you to talk about that part. Some of the things like, like you know, we said all the resources that are, but presenting that type of information it doesn't always have to be stale, you know? It doesn't have to be so cut and dry. Do this, do that, then do this. No, no, we can we can we can add some conversation, we can jazz it up. You know, I like making things funky. That's my thing. So, you know, what we can make things funky. Like <laughs> like, you know, and have some fun with it. And I think there's uh there's space in this project to disseminate information but in a really cool, engaging, fun way. Very yeah. exciting. And yeah. if I ever decide uh, I should suck it up and learn how to audio produce, I'd love to know about accessible uh, programs where I could learn how to do that. And I'm sure that's a struggle for us blind folks um, no. is finding yeah, things there. that work. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're there. We, we got them. We got them. <laughs> yeah. If I could throw one other thing, because this is not like Cheryl and I's first collaboration. We've done um, some cool things and got some other cool stuff planned. But, um, you know, I want to tell you a little bit because you might be, I think the, the audience would be interested in this because we did a, a workshop. It's called Audio Description in the Making. And Cheryl invited me to participate in this workshop that she was creating um, and planning at the Access in Making Lab, which is part of Concordia University in Canada. And shout out to Professor Arcelli and the fine folks up there. So we talk about this idea that audio description is art. We talk about that a lot, uh, all the time, right? In the community, um, well, some of us. In the workshop, we go even further and show how audio description can influence art in the beginning, right? So we had like about 11 grad students who signed up for this. And after some discussion that we, we led around audio description, we had them pair up and choose something to describe. And the task after that was to take that description and make it into a new piece of art. So again, putting the description first and seeing what comes out of the description. And that could be anything from a poem, one to two minute movie or a play or something, or a dance, like it, it doesn't matter what you do, but create something that started from that description. You know, I would describe the, the end results as just fire. But I'm yes. not an audio description. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
I'm not the audio description uh, writer here, so I don't know if Cheryl wants to improve on on that description right there because no. it's, it's not that you know informative, I guess. Oh no, that that was the perfect description. The length of the pause before you said fire, yes, yeah. I mean, the stuff they made was incredible, and you know we. I mean, I go to uh, Vocalized Describer Cafe. I do continuing it. I talk to other describers and I hear other people say, um, like Thomas was saying, and, and like Thomas and I have said on panels, say that the audio description should not be an afterthought. It should mm -hmm. be thought of at the beginning. But this is the only time where I've encountered anything. I mean, I didn't encounter it. We did this, but <laughs> it's the only place where I've come across the next level of it, which is scrap the original piece of art. Your art comes from the audio description. We're not saying just make your audio description more creative or just add more long pauses during the movie for audio description, but to completely reframe it, access art, access as art, art that is accessible, but not ADA compliant accessible, just like beautiful accessible. They will be releasing the the new artworks that they made pretty soon um, on some kind of website page on the internet at some point i don't the know the url web. or yeah. <laughs> the world wide web shall be housing it internationally i found out recently i'm one of the only people that still says www <laughs> I didn't do I realize I didn't realize that wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> I still do it sometimes. I the boat. Yeah. No, but and I hear a lot of people still do it actually, and they often do the www dot. They they only say two w's or they don't say the dot. I say the third w. I do the third w. Um, but go. I was told that this is faux pas now, so yeah, I'll have to I'll have to lean it in. But yes, I I love that. I love the genesis of a piece of art being the audio description. It is that is beautiful, and I I look forward to checking out www.whatever once it comes out. Oh, this one's going to be just http colon slash slash. Okay, got it, got it, got it. But got I mean, if you want any kind of like hint in the workshop, Thomas had me impromptu, no, no practice, audio describe a song. Oh, wow. So just like to give you a taste of like how off the beaten path and instrumental or yes instrumental, instrumental. Okay. specifically instrumental because that you know music makes a picture in your mind and again it's art so it could be something specific for you specific mm -hmm. for me but in this case it was specific for cheryl <laughs> it was her assignment and she came through that that would require me to really fire up the creative juices for sure i'm really looking forward to what comes next with your new collaboration and I hope I can use the platform of this podcast to promote it and to share the survey and share the resources that you provide. I'm sure I myself could stand to benefit from them as I'm certainly a novice at this and uh, have a lot to learn myself. Uh, so, so you are not a novice. No, you are, you are not. not a novice because what you're doing, what you're doing right now is, is, um, is absolutely creative and artistic because you're like I said yours is just before you you do the pre-production mm -hmm. and and you I can't do what you do because number one like to just guide nicely through that 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 is hard 
cut it out. You 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 do a great <laughs> job, and there's definitely art in that, and you and you do a fantastic yeah. job with it. So you yeah. all Agreed. are too Agreed. kind. Part of this idea behind the hub, and it's not like we talk about it all the time this way, but part of it is that we do all need each other. Everybody, mm-hmm. somebody's got mm-hmm. something that you don't have and you've got something they don't have and you can work together and whether it's directly like, you know, collaborating or talking like we are, or you listen to somebody's show and you get an idea and you've taken that knowledge that way. I could sit here all day and tell you all the things I'm not skilled at yet. Cause I've got a, a long list, but then I also say, well, but who do I know who's, who's, who's done that and can show me how, and we really want the database to, to be alive for that reason, because you you know who's not looking out for the disability community. Now it would be yeah. the non-disableds. Mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. got each other's back. Yeah. And Casilla has a team. Like that's something that I wish yes. I would have done from mm-hmm. the beginning, mm-hmm. establish a team and really give it more thought. I mean, there's, a, there's advantages to, and there's a, there's a whole thing about just going for it. That's cool. Um, but the idea of planning it and getting a team to work with yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm very fortunate in that way. Avery, my who does my social because Instagram is horrible to deal with. Mm. Um yeah. and uh and uh Alana, who is our audio, wonderful, wonderful audio producer. I they are my they're not just those two things. They are my thought partners, they are yeah. the people I go to for advice that give me ideas and I give them ideas, and it's it's just a beautiful mm. It's a beautiful synergy and I, I always thrive in that kind of an environment. So I, I feel really lucky that I that they had the commitment and the passion and, and, and what have you. But, you know, one of the things that Alice and I have talked about is those skills, they're valuable. Mm-hmm. And part of this is, is also being able to have resources to compensate people for their hard work which I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do in the case of my team the best that I can, but it's, it feels never enough, you know? And, and, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's, that's where I think coming together, like you describe as a, as a community and finding ways that we can basically force others to invest in us (laughs) and let us tell our stories is, is I think, I think is the next step. It's the, it's the counterpoint to what, what you are describing, Thomas, like we can sort of redirect away from kind of just joining the mainstream of podcasters and Mm -hmm. following the same model by creating our own way of doing it with the same, hopefully lucrative results. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think it's, I think it's possible. um, Just figuring it out. It goes back to that that mutual support. Everyone kind of supporting each other would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think there are some non-disabled folks who get it and have the money and want to put it up, or some disabled mm-hmm. folks who have the money and want to see things happen. Like you know, they're out there, and and you know, you know, for me at least, I always think about that that whole idea. Like, yes, I will definitely take some money, but I don't want to take your opinion in what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. like, that's, you know, I, I, cause I, I, and yeah. so if there's, you know, somebody who just kind of wants to say, Hey, I love what you're doing. I want to make it easier for you to do it. I want you to do more of it. That would be fantastic. And so maybe I'm dreaming too much. I don't know. <laughs> you know, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I believe in your dream, Thomas. Yeah. I do. I really do. I think that that environment is out there. Other, other podcast collectives have done it. 
Well, this has been delightful. Thank you both so much. This is a really great way to wrap up our season uh, in a spirit of hope and excitement for all of the creativity that is to come. So thank you. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katia. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Down to the Struts. For those of you who listened for the first time this season, welcome to our community. For those who joined us after listening to past seasons, we are so grateful for your continued support and interest in our work. This podcast would not be possible without the energy and creativity of our audio producer, Alana Nevins, and our social media manager, Avery Annapol. Special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. My infinite gratitude goes out to each and every guest that joined us this season. We learned about everything from how to bring community organizing and disability inclusion to public policymaking, to bringing disability justice principles and practices to academic work, to the contributions that disabled voices can make in fiction and literature. Together, our guests have taught us that approaching all aspects of life with a disability perspective can make systems and structures better for all of us. We are going to take a break from your feeds so we can prepare another impactful season of interviews. In the meantime, if you'd like to become a patron, you can visit patreon.com slash down to the struts to support the awesome team that brings this podcast to life. You can also join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast, to become part of our growing community. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts. Finally, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. Thank you so much again for your support, and we are looking forward to bringing you more stories about disability design and intersectionality in season five.